0: You are listening to a Hillbilly Horror Stories classic episode.
1: What's good? What's good? What's good? This your boy Marcus Harvey from Ghost Brothers. What's happening, man? This your boy Daly Spratt from Ghost Brothers. And this is Jawan Mass from the Ghost Brothers. we like to give a big shout out to the Hillbilly Horror Stories.
0: Hillbilly Horror Stories. Where well, your stories is from a hillbilly, and it's kind of horror because it's Hillbilly Horror Stories. That was terrible, Daly. Yeah. But I, I tried. Tune into the podcast. We up in here. Ghost Brothers.
1: This podcast is part of the Darkness Collective. Visit darkness.org to discover more shows like this one. The Darkness Awaits. Jerry and Tracy, Polly, and
0: their dog Ninja. Hey, guys! Welcome to episode one hundred and eleven of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. I'm Tracy, and uh, we've got an action-packed show for you.
1: Man, we do. We've had action-packed days. We
0: literally have. Last twenty-four hours has been crazy for us. On Good In a good way. You know, it's all good stuff. But first and foremost, we want to say thank you to all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent.
1: Man, thank you guys so much because I know with all these terrible weather situations going on right now that you guys are working your hearts out and rescuing people that didn't want to leave. And, you know, we totally understand that. But we got many mad prayers going out for you guys because this has been a horrific week.
0: Yeah, we actually... Want to make sure we we put the focus on the uh, um, hurricane victims, especially right there at North Carolina, South Carolina, because they got pounded really hard. Could be mm-hmm. days, weeks without uh, electricity in some cases. We uh, know a lot of people had to evacuate from the area. We actually had a couple of listeners send us a message and say that they were uh, had currently evacuated and were in you know elsewhere right now waiting the storm out, and so. Just stay safe out there everybody. I know it's starting to come to an end now and but now you got all the cleanup and everything to worry about.
1: Yeah. We got y'all on our prayers and if we can do anything to help you guys, let us know.
0: I always want to bring up the suicide prevention hotline here in the United States, 1-800-273-8255. If you're more of a texter, 741-741. I know we we bring this up every week if you got, you know, any thing on your mind and you just need to unload, feel free to give Any of us a call, feel free to call that hotline number. Feel free to join us in the Facebook group. Uh, If you feel like you need more professional help, Natasha and our group would be more than happy to help you out. Uh, If it's a financial situation, you know, as far as uh, being able to get the help, she is more than willing to work with anybody if you need that kind of help. She is uh, on our staff basically now. So it's kind of awesome to have somebody that is professionally trained in that area to be a part of our group that can help out if needed be. Amen. With that being said, I know uh, we had a listener that uh, took us up on it, called me on Friday night for about a half an hour, and um, horrible uh, things have happened to this, this young lady, and, and uh, she just wanted to talk about it. And, you know, like I said, by the time we got through, she said she felt a little better. And sometimes that's what it's all about. It's just about uh, being able to just talk to somebody that, that can listen. Mm -hmm. it's not always about talking it's about listening
1: absolutely
0: so once again if you need us for that we will be there for that so you heard the ghost brothers at the very beginning (laughs) oh
1: my gosh yes i did and they were so fun today
0: yeah they we got to hang out with them for a little bit today and they're going to come on the show probably in october so we'll have Mm -hmm. a, a, a whole bunch of special guest in october we're working on kim russo the um uh, medium Mm -hmm. she was super nice we had a chance to talk to her uh shawnee smith said she's going to come on which you'll know from the saw movies we got the ghost brothers and we got chip coffee that uh we're trying to get set up but we've been trying to get chip set up for about 27 years (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and um, there's, he's, he's got a busy such a busy schedule, it makes it extremely tough. But we do have some cool things working for you guys. So Yeah, absolutely. And you.
1: it was just so much fun getting our pictures made today with everybody.
0: The Saul dude. Yeah, Tracy latched onto Tobin Bell like uh, oh. he was getting ready to run away or something. And just basically forced him to hug her. I- he did not want to hug me. He started to
1: hug me before. Um, I you don't even know. I
0: think you were groping him.
1: I probably was, but that's okay because <laughs> he was extra cool, extra nice, and I loved every minute of it.
0: Well, I'm glad you did.
1: I did. It was just oh my gosh, it was just a fun day.
0: it was. Now, we um uh, wanted to just say we, we ran into Jack Kenna, our old buddy. He wants to come back on the show again soon, too. So we'll get him on it. We're going to get Steve Asher on. We got a bunch of good guests getting ready to come on the show. I know mm-hmm. we haven't had any for a while, but we got a bunch getting ready to come on the show. And uh, Jack's just going through some um, medical situations. So we just wanted to send out a nice little prayers and thoughts to Jack to yeah, uh, get well soon.
1: Thanks. We're praying for you, buddy. All right.
0: So, needle
1: and thread.
0: We were going to do, because we kind of leaked this out at the beginning of the week, we were going to do the um,
1: Slender.
0: We were not going to do the Slender. What the hell are you talking about? Oh, you
1: know what? (laughs) Addie was talking about him today. (laughs) Addie was saying the Slender man. I guess that's why I had it on my brain. We were
0: going to do Skinwalker uh, Ranch this week.
1: Oh, yeah, Skinwalker. Slender skin, yeah, it's all the same. It's
0: nothing the same. (laughs) So we were going to Skinwalker Ranch, and that is a story that has so many different multiple facets, much like the uh, Bridgewater Triangle. And man, timing couldn't have been worse for me at work. I was working all week long, no time to be able to get uh, any of the amount of uh, research done that I wanted to do. Tanya, who's been a huge help to us, had a week to where she bought and closed on a house and then started moving. Yeah. And it just, for both of us to get the research done that it would have taken for that show, we just decided to scrap it until next week. So we're still doing it, but we'll do it next week. And I thought, well, what are we going to do this week? Well, lo and behold, sometimes things are right in front of your face.
1: In your face.
0: We, uh...
1: All up in your face. We, we went to
0: New Orleans. We had a couple of uh, friends that we met down there. New friends. Yeah. And they're paranormal investigators. And they had told us back then that, that uh, they had tickets for like a special ghost tour of um, Buffalo Trace Distillery. And it's been featured on Ghost Hunters and a couple other sites and stuff like that. But we've never been there. And it's literally 30 minutes from our house. <laughs> Seriously. So we decided that why don't we do the story on that? Because there's very little um, out there on, on this story.
1: Mm-hmm. There's
0: there's the Ghost Hunters episode. And that was from, I think, 2011 or 2012. Yeah, it's been a while. And there's really not much out there. So I thought, well, this would be actually a cool story we could do. And knowing that we were going to go there, that we would get some other tidbits from Mm -hmm. the the tour. So that's what the story is going to be about tonight. It's Buffalo Trace. But then we've also got a listener who um, had mentioned to us about a hospital, a haunted hospital in Kentucky. So we decided to dig that one up. It's not a long story, but we throw that in there, too.
1: Oh, sounds great.
0: And uh, as usual, we will get to Patreon and iTunes a little later in the show. All but right. thank all of you guys. I did want to touch on because we talked about the hurricane.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, we did a, an episode, I think it was episode 31, on the gray man of Polly's Island. Yes. And that was a scenario where you have a man that shows up before huge weather uh, situations, usually hurricanes, tropical storms, or something like that. But he shows up on the beach and shows itself to people Mm -hmm. and the legend goes that if you see him first of all get the hell out of town because there's going to be a hurricane or something right but second of all if you're lucky enough to see him that your property will not be damaged Mm -hmm. so that's kind of the gist of it without getting in all the details you can go back and listen to the whole episode if you want to get all the details on it but there was a gentleman by the name of uh, uh ryan fontaine and i'm not sure what he does he's got some kind of business uh, up upon Polly's Island, and he said one of the regulars said that he and a group of five people walking on the beach saw the gray man on Polly's Island back on September eighth, and uh, so he said it was time to start packing his bags and
1: like this September eighth, yeah,
0: right before this hurricane.
1: Oh no way!
0: So it's just, he said it's a story he heard growing up, and uh, he told Yahoo Lifestyle that he thinks everyone in the Low Country has actually heard the story, especially when hurricanes or tropical storms begin to form in the area. It's always something you hear. Uh, people bring up he said it's a friendly entity though and not that it's a good thing to see him but someone does claim to see him it gives the locals an idea of what they're dealing with so i so thought it was amazing. kind of a kind of cool that it did come up now you could be skeptical and say well everybody knew this hurricane was going to come so they just made it up but who knows
1: yeah so
0: anyway, i thought it was a cool story since it was uh, topical to bring up now
1: mm-hmm. very nice
0: all right so are we ready to get into buffalo trace
1: I was just in Buffalo Trace.
0: I'm aware of that. And we got plenty of pictures that we took from there. We
1: did. And some good uh, whiskey.
0: Yeah, they let you have some whiskey tasting at the end of the night, which I did not partake in.
1: Because he's boring. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, ask Tracy what she partook in. One of I the did. four samples that they were going to try uh, to give her.
1: But I did have two bourbon balls, so in your face.
0: Yeah, And if I'd have drank some, I'd have had two bourbon balls.
1: What did I have? The uh, it's some kind of some cream. cream. I can't even remember the name of it. Man, that was some good stuff there. That was good. I just don't like that. You
0: yeah, be careful of that because you don't want to just be drinking buffalo cream.
1: Oh man, it might not
0: be you, what you think it is. Why would be so nasty? I'm just saying. Ugh. You see, you turned it into it.
1: You did no. with your balls. <sighs>
0: All right, can we get onto the subject? Yes. I have people complaining already. It took us too long to get into the subject because you want to talk about balls. Oh,
1: but it's a funny word.
0: Alright, right, Buffalo Trace is in Frankfort, Kentucky, which is the capital of Kentucky, and it's about 30 minutes from our house. Pretty cool. Ghost Hunters came there season seven back in 2011, and they're most known for making Buffalo Trace Kentucky straight bourbon. Oddly enough, that was introduced in 1999, which is less than 20 years ago. I mean, you would think that something that they're as well known Mm for— Wouldn't have been just 20 years old, but because this place has been around for roughly 200 years.
1: Oh, gosh, forever ago.
0: Like I said, so I say oddly enough, because distillery, or I shouldn't say distillery, but distilling, because at one point they were doing it without a, <laughs> just like with steels and stuff out there, without there really being uh-huh. a building there. But this went all the way back since 1775, at least on the property. So that's when Hancock Lee and his brother... Um, decided that they were going to start up distilling there, and it was like illegal moonshining and yeah, stuff like that. the good stuff. But then uh, one of the brothers died in 1776.
1: and Wait, what happened in 1776?
0: Oh, that's when the con- country fought for its independence. With the oh, yeah, that's right. right now.
1: I knew it was something big.
0: The first actual distillery was constructed in 1812 by Harrison Blanton. In 1870, the distillery was purchased by Edmund Taylor, and given its first name, Old Fire Copper Distillery. They did that because they were using these big copper um, tanks and stuff to do the distillery because they thought it, that was a better process and gave it a better flavor. So Taylor then sold it eight years later to George uh, George T. Stag, along with the old Oscar Pepper Distillery. Good old Oscar Pepper. <laughs> So the old Oscar Pepper was sold within the year, so Stag could pretty much buy more land and just expand the old fire copper. So he didn't really care about the other one. He just bought it and sold it for the extra money. In 1886, Stag installed steam heating in the storage warehouses, which is kind of significant because at the time, that was the first climate-controlled whiskey warehouse in the the country.
1: Wow. Steam.
0: Steam. Mm-hmm. So after Stagg bought the distillery, Edmund Taylor continued to kind of oversee it and, and run the plant for him. Right. So he was the previous owner, but he stayed on. Stagg let Taylor modernize the plant. And working together, the two men built the most dominant American distillery of the 19th century. In 1904, the name changed to the George T. Stagg Distillery. There's a fun fact for you. The distillery was one of only four distilleries in the U.S. that was allowed to operate during Prohibition. And the reason... It was that they made whiskey for medicinal purposes. Mm -hmm. I really don't know how that works, how you can use whiskey for medicinal purposes. I do.
1: You drink that whiskey and the pain goes away. (laughs) Ta-da!
0: Well, I'm sure that's pretty much along the lines of what it really
1: was.
0: (laughs) So, Buffalo Trace has long been recognized for making some of the finest bourbon to actually come out of Kentucky. But, perhaps there is a little paranormal in their success. Rumors have circulated for years that the distillery is haunted and the ghost of Albert Bacon Blanton still roams the halls of the buildings. How are you going to have a middle name of Bacon?
1: Well, I don't know, but you can't go wrong no matter what you do with Bacon.
0: He's better known as Colonel Blanton. Now, it's not surprising when you think about it because he started working at Buffalo Trace in 1897 as an office boy when he was just 16 years old. We found out last night that right across the street is where he was born and raised and mm-hmm. lived. So his whole, his entire life yeah, it was right was there, right there mm-hmm. within a couple blocks of each other. So over the next few years, he worked in every department of the distillery. He got really pretty damn good at, the, at all the departments at learning all the facets uh, of the business period. And they made him a superintendent of the distillery at the age of 20.
1: That's amazing.
0: Yep. He was well, he was actually in charge of the distillery, the warehouse, and the bottling shop. So, I mean, that's like the whole kit and caboodle. By 1921, he was the president of the whiskey plant. So he remained president until his death in 1959. He was 78 years old. So it's possible that his spirit might not want to leave, since that's basically the only place he's ever known. Ever known of.
1: all of his life, yeah. He was a handsome man too.
0: Yeah, I can see that. In yeah, ni- absolutely. In 1999, new distillery renovations were completed and renamed Buffalo Trace Distillery. So that's when. It became Buffalo Trace. Rumors of ghosts were all around the place. There's a stone house called the Riverside House. It's been the site of several encounters. One of the supposed ghosts is Edmund Taylor Jr. His spirit has been seen peering out the upstairs window. He's still keeping an eye on the business that he helped make a huge success. There's nothing wrong with that.
1: That's awesome.
0: People have also reported seeing a young boy in the house. No one is really sure who the young boy is. Then you have Stony Point Mansion. We got a chance to go in Stony Point yeah, yesterday. Yeah, that's really neat. Nice. And I've actually got some video that we took of the tour guide that we'll post on our Patreon account. Buffalo Trace sits on a 125-acre property, and the mansion was actually built there by 1934 by Colonel Blanton himself.
1: Yes, he they built said, that house himself. He said
0: he pretty much designed the house, even though he had no he had, experience yeah, in it whatsoever.
1: No experience at all. He did a good job, too. He
0: did employees have heard footsteps echo throughout the house that they attribute to Colonel Blanton. He's also been seen in the sunroom, which is subsequently the room that he passed away in. He's often seen wearing his signature bowler hat. Mm-hmm. And uh, humming can also be heard in the house. But employees say that it's not Blanton doing the humming. They say that it's his uh, housekeeper, long-time housekeeper, Sarah. So there's also reports of hearing... Furniture being moved, so maybe Sarah's doing some cleaning, too. Yeah. The basement here has a cold, almost icy feel to it at times, even during the hotter months. Most people who visit the basement get a very uncomfortable feeling and do not remain in there for very long. Now, we got a chance to go down in the basement.
1: Yes, we did.
0: And it was pretty cool. So I'll tell you a couple of stories about that that we found out last night. Mm -hmm. So there was a girl named Elizabeth. Elizabeth. And she got a uh, well. It's, it's important to know right now that that mansion has pretty much been turned into offices for the executives and for some of the other people that do work for the executives. So right,
1: he did build that house for his wife, right? And his and then I guess after he passed away, she moved out, right? But you know what? I thought that was kind of rude. <laughs> I, wonder, I, I don't remember recalling what they said why she moved out.
0: Well, I mean, they said that it's possible that he might have shown himself to her a few times. Oh, the-
1: that's right. Yeah, yeah. And she's like, yeah, I'm done with that. Yeah. And then she moved out. But I was like, dang, he built this whole nice house for you and everything. But then, like Jerry said, they after she moved out, um, they kept it and made office uh, offices out of it. Yeah, they, to tried the, to they tried to
0: keep as much of it the same as, mm-hmm. as it was originally.
1: And it, I mean, I don't know what it looked like back then, but it don't look like they did much to it.
0: No, well, they said they just added the modern conveniences like, like internet a, and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, like, like to it. air conditioning and stuff. Air conditioning. A air ceiling
1: fan. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and what was funny about this, because I asked a question on, you know, he was I know he was the president of the company and stuff, but how are you able to just build a mansion on the property? Mm-hmm. But we told you that they were one of four companies that were four distilleries that was able to keep working during Prohibition. All the other distilleries, people lost their jobs. right. And they said that the because he was able to fight and get them uh, uh, set up to be able to, to still produce for medicinal purposes, these people kept their jobs. And and this land wasn't part of the distillery at that time. It was just an open piece of land, I guess, that sat next to the distillery. Yeah. And all of his workers were so... Uh, thankful for what he was able to do, and grateful that they took up like donations mm-hmm. and used that money to buy that land and gave to him. I know. As I just a thank you. That
1: was so nice. That was so nice.
0: So that's how the, you know the he was able to build the house mm-hmm. on the property, and then uh, but yet yeah, it's, it's an awesome house. So the story was Elizabeth gets a promotion. She's over at the main plant, and she's able to now move over there. And they don't work on Sundays there at all. They don't do tours. No, they don't uh-uh. do anything. It's completely off on Sundays. She decided she was going to go over there. She had a key, and she was going to set her office up because she knew Monday she had to get right to work.
1: Right, with her new job.
0: So she was going to go in Sunday. She gets there. She walks up to the front door, and uh, she notices a man standing in the front window. Mm -hmm. And she waves and you know figures there's somebody in there. She goes to open the door thinking somebody's going to be in there. The door should be open, and it's not. It's locked.
1: No, it was still locked.
0: So she unlocks the door. She goes in. She looks down to the left where she thought she saw the person. She didn't see anything. Then she thinks she hears footsteps going up the stairs. So she goes up the stairs. She looks around. Nothing. No lights on. All the doors are closed and locked. So she's like, well, maybe there were footsteps going downstairs to the basement. She goes downstairs. Nothing. So then she's freaked out to the point where she just says, "To hell with it! I'm not going to clean the office or, <laughs> or or set my office yeah, up. Yeah. I'm just going to go on home."
1: <laughs>
0: so she goes home, and then she comes in that Monday and she asks, you know, she's asking around her coworkers, "Hey, who was here on Sunday?" And they're like, "Nobody's here. Nobody comes in on Sunday. You were going to be the only one that had a key that was yeah. coming in." And then when they told her, she explained what the situation was. They said, "Well, it sounds like you've met Mr. Blanton, Colonel Blanton." So that's that was one of the the first stories that they told that. I didn't have any kind of research. Oh,
1: on. man, that would be so neat. But I would be a little freaked out myself.
0: Oh, I guarantee. Yeah. So then we're going to move on to Warehouse C. And Warehouse C is it's uh, where they keep all the barrels at, which is pretty awesome if you've never seen it.
1: I have never seen anything like that, and it was really very cool.
0: I mean, it's literally stacks and stacks and stacks of barrels, all set up in a special way uh, where you can get behind each row, so they can go in and check for leaks and stuff.
1: Did you see that one barrel we were standing by the head that that uh, was tagged "experiment"? Yeah, I took do, a, "do not use experimental" or something Yeah, like I took that. a picture of it. Oh, actually Yeah,
0: so it'd be one of the ones I posted. Oh, tonight. cool. And there's we we found so much about you know the aging of of bourbon and how they work it and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. It was it was a really cool experience. So they're in this this warehouse, right? And uh, the employees, they have to go through these little, I don't think I took any pictures of this, but it's just a little pathway in between each set of barrels, and it's just a board back there. And you just walk along the board, and it gives them just a chance to be able to see, you know, barrels on both sides of them and see if anything's leaking. Mm-hmm. And that's all they do is just like, continuously check those. And they said those people have seen apparitions and heard all kinds of strange noises in that place. Mm-hmm. The best story, though, happened several years ago. Now, Freddie Johnson is a tour guide there. His father and grandfather both worked at the distillery. His father oversaw every millionth barrel.
1: That is crazy.
0: Since Prohibition all the way up to the ninth millionth.
1: Isn't that the craziest thing? Man, yeah, you think he'd be sick of seeing that, for you real.
0: You would think so. But the ninth millionth barrel was uh, commemorated in 2011, and he died. Shortly after that. No. So he got a chance to see that at the age of 94. Wow. And I was listening to uh, Freddie himself tell a story about his dad.
1: Mm-hmm. Now,
0: Freddie, Freddie is probably, I guess, maybe late 60s, early 70s mm-hmm. by now. But, you know, he had left, a really smart guy had left, went to uh, New York. And I think it was AT&T is was who he was working for. But he had like master clearance. And, you know, all these master passwords and stuff like that that you had to be a top dog to get. Oh wow. And
1: You go Freddie. His
0: dad had had uh and brother were both diagnosed with cancer the same week.
1: <gasps> You're kidding me. So Freddie
0: decided to come back. Aww. and then he just started working for the distillery. And uh so after this barrel, uh this nine barrel, you know, he's sitting there and he said one day he was at home and his dad he was getting ready for work and his dad said, uh, "Goodbye, son." And he said he just kind of looked at him like, "That's odd." It's mm-hmm. Just it's just that's not something his dad would normally say. And he said, "I'll be back." And he said, "Okay." And he said later that day, he, when he returned back from work, his dad opened his eyes and he said, "Well, you kept your promise." And then he passed away a few minutes later.
1: Hmm, that's going to make me cry.
0: Yeah, it's it was really sad. And I, and I know that has nothing to do with the story. I know, but,
1: well, that's that's really, that's I really just, heart-touching.
0: I just thought it was a uh, an interesting story. Aww. So so this story, though, involves Freddie's grandfather.
1: I want to say one thing. Yes. I love my daddy. <laughs> okay, go ahead.
0: This story involves Freddie's grandfather. Now, he was running the crew up on the second floor. Well, let me talk about the way this is set up, yeah. too. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about the warehouse. What what I didn't know when I wrote this out, we learned more afterwards, but when I wrote this out yesterday, I was unaware of some of the stuff. The warehouse looks like that it's four stories on the outside. Mm Mm-hmm. It's actually six stories.
1: That is crazy.
0: And it's like, how do you do that?
1: Yeah, we was like, why do you? I mean, how do you do that?
0: And they said when ghost hunters came in there, they were like, hey, we'll we'll take this warehouse and do that because it's only four stories, so we should be able to you know work it. When they got in there, and found out it was six stories because when they do the warehouses for these barrels and their storage of them, they can't put that much weight on each floor because each one of these barrels weigh five hundred and fifty pounds, mm-hmm. and I mean, and there's literally thousands. Yeah. in there. So when I show you some pictures later that we post, it'll make more sense to you But how they're set up. But what happens is everything in there is made out of wood, and they put these barrels in there, and they're afraid that the with the, everything weighing what they do, the, the outside structure... If it came down, so would everything inside. Yeah. So they basically build the inside, and then they do a brick structure on the outside. Mm -hmm. So they're really, the brick structure is just like a facade. Like
1: a shell, sort of. Yeah. I guess like a shell. It's not
0: really meant to do anything except basically looks and keep the weather out.
1: And no smoking.
0: Yeah, absolutely not. (laughs)
1: Or this this place.
0: This place burnt down twice in, uh, I think it was 1840 and 1850. Wow. So the building that's there now was the one that was built after that. Mm Mm-hmm. So alcohol is flammable. Oh uh, yeah, in case y'all didn't know. <laughs> so anyway, so that that's how that was built. So this will come into the story. So what happens is his father, and this supposedly was back in the '30s. His grandfather back in the '30s. He had a crew, and what they would do is bring the barrels in, and put the barrels up on the shelves and all that stuff. Well, apparently, there was um, a foreman that was trying to dictate something he really didn't know about
1: he was new right yeah kind of a new form yeah it's kind of a
0: new form and what happens is you have to keep this place balanced so all these barrels and all this weight um if you take something out of the front you got to take something on the back to balance it out yeah and he said this guy said hey we need you to take all these out of the back and load it into um the truck Mm -hmm. and freddie's his grandfather was like, well, he knew there was two trucks coming. Right. So he said they would just wait, and when the two trucks got there, then they would do both of them at the same time. Well, the foreman was like, no, you you need to be working, not standing around.
1: Right. He's like, the, to- the truck is on its way. and
0: Yeah, go ahead and start loading these barrels. Now, Freddie was African-American and back in the 30s and having a great job. He wasn't going to put up much of a fight. So he did as he was told. So they load these barrels up, and they're done him and his crew are done they decided to take a break well outside of the building on this back wall where they just got through unloading this stuff it's about the only place around there where there was any shade that was close Mm -hmm. so that's where most of the people went and took their breaks at so Mm -hmm. i think there were some tables and stuff set out there and freddie decided that he was going to go walking around on the premises just on his break yeah just walk around and So most of his crew were back there along the wall, the back wall of this. And we're talking about the brick wall part, obviously. He says as he's walking around, he hears something say, move. He wasn't sure where it came from. He's looking around. He thought maybe he was in somebody's way, but there was nobody around. So he has no clue where this was. Mm -hmm. So he just kind of ignores it and keeps moving on. He says then something with a little more urgency says get your crew out of there and he said he wasn't going to tempt fate so he ran back to where his crew was and told all of them they needed to get away said look there's a shade tree just up a little bit let's go over there Mm -hmm. well they start going towards the shade tree and about that time from it being unbalanced inside all these barrels and stuff um part of the structure broke and these barrels and stuff, 550 pounds apiece, all start tr- rolling right towards that wall. Oh, my gosh. And it busts through the wall, through,
1: through the all brick. the through
0: all the brick and all that. And if his people hadn't moved.
1: It, oh, my, it probably would have killed them all.
0: Yeah, at least somebody would have
1: Oh, died. yeah. Oh, my gosh. What an angel he was.
0: So that was kind of the crew story that I thought was pretty awesome from there. And so, then
1: I would have said to that foreman, told you so, bitch, why do not you listen? <laughs> Now
0: look. <laughs> so, if you go back and watch the Ghost Hunters episode on there, he tells a really short story of that, mm-hmm. but that's all the details that's not on the story. How, so how scary cool. is that? So then you got Amy Presky, who was the uh, uh, public relations manager there. She's one of the people that has an office over at, at Stone Ridge. Mm-hmm. And she says, uh, I'm Stony Point, I don't know where I got Stone Ridge from. But anyway, she said up in her office, one night, she was sitting there about six months before Ghost Hunters got there. She said she was working at nighttime. She was all by herself. And she heard something to whisper her name. And then she heard squeaky footsteps going up some steps. Oh, my gosh. But she was scared to death. But oh, no well, I would have been, too. Was. I would
1: have been. I mean, and you know, that's the terrible part. You can hear those things, and you can be scared. But guess what? You can't lock them out. I'll just walk <laughs> right through your dang door. So you can't escape.
0: But they always do in the movies. They always try to lock them out.
1: I know. And it's dumb. But go ahead. Sorry. So
0: then you got Adam Huff. Him and his mother were both janitors at uh, Stony Point. And one night they came in and uh, to do a little bit of cleaning. His mother had just walked in and she started walking to the top of the stairs and she heard a commotion going on. So she went down to the sunroom and she saw a silhouette of a man. Mm-hmm. He had a hat and a long overcoat on. She went screaming from the room. So later on, she saw a picture of Colonel Blanton, and he was wearing a hat and an overcoat.
1: Oh, has she not seen him him before? Oh, my goodness.
0: No, she hadn't seen him before. Now, while we were in Stony Point last night, remember they told the story that there's a big conference room that we got to sit in, Mm -hmm. and we took some pictures, and they said that like a lot of times they would straighten the chairs up at the Mm -hmm. big conference table because there's like 10 or 12 chairs yeah, right. at this big conference table. They would straighten the chairs up and go upstairs, and they'd come down, and they'd all, they'd all be a mess. Yeah, like
1: somebody had been sitting in them again.
0: So that was kind of cool. And then uh, they were also talking about the fact that they have a 102-year-old relative.
1: Oh, still alive, still yeah. Still alive
0: mm-hmm. that lives across the street to uh, uh, Colonel Blanton's road. I think it's his niece uh, yeah, is what they yeah. said. And they go over there all the time when they've got questions. Like there's a little girl who's, who's seen there. And they go over and ask questions. But that's that's the story that's one of the stories that's in the video that I'm going to post on mm-hmm. Facebook. So you guys will be able to hear that. Now,
1: how nice is that? That they can actually run, you know, go talk to somebody that's still, I mean, that's lived through all that and can answer their questions like that. I just think it's amazing.
0: Yeah, it is amazing. So back in 2012, they do a uh, like a light up, the distillery for Christmas and stuff like that. People will come up here and they take a bunch of pictures and stuff like that. There's a picture... Of somebody standing in the window in Mm -hmm. an upper level where it was just storage at that time. Mm -hmm. So nobody went up there. Yeah. And and I'm going to try to find that picture because I haven't had a chance to look for that one yet. But that's a really creepy picture because it definitely looks like a person. Is
1: that the one, the pictures that were on the wall? Because see, I didn't even really get to see those.
0: I took some pictures of those, but I don't know how they
1: turned out. out? Okay.
0: Tour guide Jimmy Carey said that one night in February of 2011... They couldn't even get into the mansion. They had nine keys and three different doors and not a single key would open any door. So they had to do the ghost tour out the parking lot. What?
1: You mean the ghost had the locks changed? <laughs> 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 hmm. Now, that is funny there. That's kind of funny.
0: But anyway, that's the story that we have on Buffalo Trace.
1: It was so fun. And it I'm telling you. The way that they have the barrels and, and talk about that, that bourbon being in there for like 10 and 12 years, that just is mind blowing to me. Yeah, this is
0: I'll give you a little not a lesson, that lesson because I sure as I don't know anything about it, but I'll give you a little bit of what
1: mm-hmm. the questions
0: that we asked. So they take these barrels and this floor's got six different levels, right? Six different floors. But each one, because heat rises, yeah. Each each floor is a different hotter than the yeah, other. Mm-hmm. So like they'll they'll have these barrels for this type of whiskey or bourbon will be on the first floor and it'll be there for 10 years. And then the ones on the second floor for eight years and ones on the third or fourth floor for like five years. And the reason they do that is they said that it can't sit any higher on those, uh, any longer on those higher floors because it gets so hot that it'll evaporate. Mm-hmm. So that's why they can't age that stuff any longer. But it, does, but it does, but it does age quicker because of the heat. And yeah. they said, This All this uh, bourbon is completely clear when it's put into the barrel. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what happens is the barrels are made out of white oak. And the longer that it sits from the uh, breathing of the barrel, from the expanding and in-expanding, from the heat, it causes the flavor that's in the barrel goes into the liquid, which gives it its color and its flavor. That is so crazy. 75% of the flavor that you get from bourbon is from the barrel. Wow, wood. that is just amazing. So that's what the whole aging process is. Mm-hmm. It's basically letting more stuff from the barrel get into the liquid. So I know, I that, that was-
1: that's really cool. I was thinking, dang, I mean, Dakota wasn't even born when most of those <laughs> barrels were in there. I mean, when you think about it that way, but it's really good stuff, so.
0: Yeah, and I always, I always ask, you know, I think, well, how in the hell... Do you start a business where you're like, well, let's get this whiskey in the barrels, and in ten years we can sell some of it?
1: I know that would be kind of depressing. <laughs> but they,
0: but like they do the vodka and stuff that they can distill.
1: Yeah, they do vodka and, and there sell too. it immediately. Yeah, and they, they said
0: do. they said that some places, if they're just starting out, they'll buy their whiskey from somewhere else that's already aged mm-hmm. and just put their name on it, or. They'll, they'll start aging right away, yeah. but they'll have stuff that's two years age, so they can start selling that stuff in two years. So it's it's tough to get started, but they'll take the stuff that they can immediately distill mm-hmm. and put out to make money right now while they're waiting on the other. So it's not something you're going to make a fortune on right off the bat, but mm-hmm. 10, 12, 13 years.
1: I mean, it's a really nice place too. The grounds are real beautiful. The trees are cool and stuff. And they people have weddings out
0: there, so oh, yeah. they
1: do a lot of events. A and lot things of gardens well. and stuff like
0: that. This is also if you're if you're familiar with whiskey and bourbon, this is where Pepe Van Winkle is is um, distilled at, which is. I think the most expensive bourbon. And if you go back and do some uh, research here in the last couple of years, there was a bunch of bottles that were stolen from there. And it was literally like 20 bottles, but it was like $10,000 worth of bourbon or something like that. I'm I'm probably off on the numbers, but it was a major story here. And then when you talk to like Freddie Johnson, who's been out there forever, he says that there's like a, a big honor code among everybody, and they felt like that was an inside job. Oh. So it was like very disheartening to them to think oh, that, that somebody one of their own done. would oh, have my done so. I know they were blaming a principal in Bardstown at one point. You know, and I
1: remember that. Yeah,
0: I mean, it, this was just like two years ago. So if you look up Pappy Van Winkle stolen, it's a kind of a cool story, but mm-hmm. it was a major deal because it's worth so much money.
1: Well good. So you guys, if anybody ever is ever through the Frankfurt area, y'all should stop by and see it. It's really something. So
0: Okay. Let's do And they have
1: good bourbon brittle.
0: Yeah, they had I mean they had everything. Bourbon balls, bourbon brittle, bourbon pancakes. Yeah.
1: Sorry to mean in Rocha. But go ahead.
0: (laughs) Anyway, let's go ahead and do our Patreons. We want to thank you for our new Patreon supporters this week. Lindsay Sutton, Sheila Perkins. Stephen Simmons, even though you live in West Virginia, Amy Smith, and Kelly Rang.
1: What's that got to do with anything?
0: Oh, it's something we go back and forth. On Facebook. Oh, he's gotcha. A Mount, he's a mountaineer. Somewhere. Oh, okay. So, but well, I don't hold that against him. Of
1: course not. Well, we appreciate you guys so much. <laughs> Thank you for your patronage, and we love you guys to pieces. And
0: and hopefully you liked your Rock and Roll in the Occult episode that came oh, out last
1: yeah. night. yeah. I hope so. Because
0: everybody keeps asking for one of those, and I've already said I'm not going to do them on the regular shows anymore, because for whatever reason, people...
1: Like them? Well, I think they're well, interesting.
0: Well, no, I mean, a lot of people like them. That's a lot of people's uh-huh. favorites. But when it comes to the uh, the the major listening base that we have, the numbers always go down when we do. Oh, one. really? So yeah. I think I think some of the people who listen that like it, that's their favorite episodes. But most people, I think, you would rather what? hear something else. So. We're
1: here to please you guys, so that's what we need to do. And that's
0: what we did. We did and it exactly. on exactly And I enjoyed it. And while actually. you're on the subject of thinking you need to please people, you need to stick up to your end of the bargain. All right. So <sighs> iTunes. We only had two this week. That's the lowest I remember in forever.
1: Oh, well, that's okay. We appreciate you guys so much for taking your time out because we know you guys are so busy.
0: Like, you know how busy everybody Everybody's
1: is. Everybody's busy. They have a lot.
0: <laughs> so we got Jade Rios 21 and Mullinek.
1: Thank you, guys. We appreciate your kind words. I know somebody really had sweet. a mull on
0: her neck. I had a mull on my neck.
1: I, I did, too, one time. So, but I don't think it's the same thing.
0: It's probably not. <laughs> All right.
1: We appreciate you guys.
0: Absolutely. So we're going to do this little story on um, Hayeswood Hospital. What's it called? Hayeswood.
1: Oh, Hayswood, Okay.
0: So we were looking for a little smaller story in Kentucky to kind of go along with the Buffalo Trace story. And I remember that Brandy Hester requested this a few days ago. Mm-hmm. So, so don't think if you put a story in it, it might be weeks before we get to it, because this was literally like two or three days ago, mm-hmm. and we jumped all over it. So I thought it'd be a perfect fit. So she suggested a Hayeswood Hospital in Maysville, Kentucky. It's a large four-story brick building that's been vacant since 1983. So it's quite a while. there's been
1: like nothing there? Nothing.
0: And we'll get to why in a here in a second. But even though it's been vacant for that long, it's still in pretty good shape on the outside. It's got uh, some broken windows, which you would expect. yeah. But most are in pretty good shape, especially like up on the second floor. Inside, though, is a whole different story. The inside is a complete mess. It would literally take a million dollars to clean it up. And that's... Been already because a price of, given
1: because of vandals or something? Pro- or no? Probably a,
0: a combination of vandals and just overall weather. And, oh well, I mean, when you let something sit for twenty years, twenty— in this case, twenty-seven years, twenty-five years—and nothing's going on in there, there's no maintenance at all. You could imagine. Well, yeah, just but what there shouldn't happen.
1: have to be maintenance if nobody's in there. No,
0: I mean things just but happen.
1: People break the windows, and, then the, weather and gets the weather in the weather and all that and gets in critters in. and varmints
0: <laughs> and everything else. I'm and, sure. sure. All you had to say was varmints and then Ninja gets all it. uppity. I know. The Preservation Society.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you should leave that on there. Hmm. Take Fine, two. I will then. Take two.
0: <laughs> the Preservation Society has been trying for years to get it renovated into either retail space or apartments. And that, that's kind of what they did to the old uh, Maysville High School that was there they kind of took over and did yeah. that same thing so this land has had some type of a medical facility on it since the 1800s the wilson family built a small medical facility known as the wilson infirmary and it was ran by may pearl wilson she died in 1908 and then the hospital was closed and torn down to make room for a new hospital that was built in 1915 it was originally called hazewood seminary but the name got changed to hazewood hospital in 1923 to reflect that it was a full service facility. It made two additions onto the main facility in 1925 and again in 1971. In its prime, it had 87 beds, which was plenty of room for a small community. But it wasn't really plenty when it came to the 1980s because it was a bigger, you know, growing yeah. area. So yeah, I needed course. something a little better. So besides being too small to handle the growing community and no more room to expand the location... Also, was like really hard to get to mm-hmm. for an emergency because the streets were really narrow and there was no room at all to make the streets wider. So oh, it wouldn't handle the traffic. So instead, they opened a new hospital called Meadowview Regional Center and it's on the outskirts of town and they closed Hayswood down. So after 11 years of being vacant, the property was sold at auction to Esther Johnson and she had uh, some connection to classic properties and that's a company that was specifically formed to take care of, of all the uh, buildings and like that were historical, like that, mm-hmm. transform them into something for new use. Mm-hmm. And that's the same group who transformed Haysville High School into apartments that we talked about a little bit earlier. But this time they had some financial problems, and uh, they offered to sell it to the city for fifty five thousand. The city thought about it, but then they didn't want it the one million dollar price tag to clean it up, so they declined. Fifty five
1: thousand. So, that's all.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, but they were going to spend a million dollars just to clean it up. Yeah, that's and then, true. And then that's yeah. not even counting, mm-hmm. you know, any construction to make it into something. That's all it would have been. So they just decided that it wasn't worth it. So now there's pretty much nothing, but it's just sitting there. It's
1: just sitting there still to yeah. this day.
0: So there's no money to do anything with it, and it's going to cost a fortune to even tear down. So it just sits. So Hospitals are often places of... Uh, Saving lives, as you would know, but it's also a lot of death and pain and suffering that goes on there. So that opens the possibilities of spirits wandering around, mm-hmm. as you would expect. These entities can be patients, but also employees that are dedicated to helping others. You know, they dedicate their entire life to helping people that were with their medical needs. So it makes sense that they may come back and try to help each other when they're passed on. Hmm. So as far I as just I'm,
1: can't believe, in today, that somebody can't afford to just do something with that.
0: Are we still on that? Well, it just bugs me. It's a small town. Where do you think that money's going to come from?
1: Well, I, I don't have to be somebody that lives there. I mean,
0: well, so somebody out of state just gonna come in and buy an old school that needs a million dollars worth of work?
1: Well, I mean, I think they could just make something of it instead of just sitting there.
0: You say that, but that's easier said. How do you, you can't just make something of it?
1: Well, then just tear it down.
0: It costs a lot of money to tear it down too. Burn it. So if you, if it's going to cost money to tear it down, it's going to cost money to fix it. Why not just leave it there and not spend any money?
1: Because you could put something else there that you people could We're use. We're not going to
0: keep going in circles.
1: <sighs> okay.
0: So as far as hauntings, people have reported <laughs> the feeling of being watched inside and outside of the building. Neighbors report seeing glowing lights up in the windows. And there's even been numerous reports of an apparition in, in the last third floor window. I don't know why it's always that one, but that's the one mm-hmm. everybody seems to see someone at. There's also been reports of shadow people presumed to be ex patients. I don't know how you know a shadow person would be a patient from a. I
1: don't. And that, what the so, heck's an ex patient got to do with it?
0: Well, they're not going to be a current patient.
1: Well, I understand that, but you should. <laughs> I mean, people know that listening to the story, I'm sure.
0: There's also a lot of audible manifestations, crying babies, disembodied voices, moans of uh, suffering, long dead echo throughout the entire hospital. Hmm. There's also tales of a disastrous labor situation where the mother and a baby died. Because of that, there's the entity of a woman carrying a newborn baby that has been seen walking through the maternity ward. So maybe she's just trying to show her family or she's trying to go home. Who knows? There was a time when the hospital was still open that she appeared in the maternity ward in front of people. She was carrying a dead baby and she was crying super hard. She may not know she's dead or maybe she's just not able to accept her death and the baby's death.
1: that's really sad.
0: So we mentioned the staff still kind of being on the job even after they've died. Shadows of doctors and nurses have been seen throughout the building. Even before the hospital closed, an eyewitness account of a man said he woke up from surgery and noted two, nurse, two nurses standing there watching him, but then they faded before his eyes.
1: Because
0: hmm. that could have been anesthesia. It could have been. So.
1: Well, I mean, no wonder they're still walking the daggone halls. Nobody will fix it up. Nobody <laughs> will tear it down. They're waiting for something to happen.
0: That's frustrating. Well, I'm sure it is. You know, but but that goes like, no, I'm not. I'm not gonna get back into it. <laughs> I was gonna say it's like if you've got a junk car that's got the engine blown, and you don't have the money to fix the engine, you know. But you're not gonna just throw the car away. You'll hold on to it rather than just throw it away. And that's kind of what's happening in this building. That's dumb.
1: Why are you gonna hold on to a car and just leave it in your daggone driveway, or to look like Samford and Son? Why? haul it off to the daggone junkyard and be done with it.
0: And get $50 for a car.
1: It doesn't matter.
0: Or $300 for a car that only needs an engine. and would run fine. Okay,
1: then he's going to, then the next time he sees something and he likes it and he can't get it fixed and then he becomes a hoarder.
0: But you're just all over the place with this.
1: Well, I'm just saying, you can't hold on to everything. You have to let it go. (laughs) Let it go.
0: Thank you guys so much. We love you. We'll see you next week.
1: Shoot.